Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I'm the Echoes Everton FC correspondent. And alongside me, we've got our long-term contributor, Gav Buckland, and my colleague, Matt Jones. Lads, how you doing, UK? Fine, Joe, thanks. Fine. Matt, yeah, very on? well. Very well. Uh, it's not long to go now, is it? Um, really is. Fortnight. We're recording this on Friday lunchtime. Fortnight. Fortnight until the, uh, the big kickoff. We may as well start there pretty much and work our way backwards. Obviously, there's a little bit to talk about. It's actually been what is an unusually quiet week for Everton, really, I think, in, in terms of obviously we know that some of the transfer stuff has, has kind of gone on in the background. Now, Bill Altore, who was on Everton's radar, but were they ever really that close? It's, it's probably unlikely. It looks like he's about to join Atalanta. Obviously, there was the draw at Bolton on Tuesday, which... You could take some positives from, you could take some negatives from as well, depending on which way you're inclined. But Gav, I'll, I'll start with you. Obviously, we've got ages left to go until the transfer window itself closes, but we've got two weeks now, two weeks until the big kickoff against Fulham. Just where are you at the minute? Where, where's your head at with Everton? <laughs> Funny enough, I've just been speaking to somebody else about this before we came on and their response was, I don't know whether to be worried or not. And I think that's probably my my stance at this moment in time, is I'm, I'm, I'm neutral. I think in seven days' time, it might be slightly, you know, slightly more def- definite either way. i just got to see how things play out during the course of the week. I don't want to say is. I think it's a well-known fact that I think we all want to see three or four players coming through the door and what we've got left, what, five weeks or something like that, four weeks? You know, it's quite a relatively short time space and um, so I'm, I'm neutral at the moment but that's like the weather, Joe, that, that is changeable. How about yourself, Matt? Yeah, I'm probably quite similar to be honest. Um, if I want to go over Old ground. We went over on, on Monday. I think there's still gaps in the squad for me. One of them is at, at centre-back, 100%. I'm still very worried about, about that situation. And, and at the top end of the pitch as well, I think, I think you know, that, that Sunday when we signed Andrew Humer and then the stories came out about Torre, I think sort of internally, I thought, right, we're, we're quite close to not being sorted there, but, but getting on our way to having a much better attack. And, Obviously, the Torre stuff has fizzled out. It looks like he's he's on his way to Italy now. And as much as it's nice to see pictures of Dan Juma in training today, it's nice to see bits of Dominic Carvalhoen as well, although I'm not entirely sure how far along he is yet. Um, it still looks likely that going into that, that first game of the season, it's going to be Dan Juma starting at the top end of the pitch on his own, potentially Mope starting at the top end of the pitch on his own and, and that, that is a little bit worrying because you know Dan Juma is a good player but is he a lone striker? Probably not. We, we've all seen what Neil Mope has to offer there as well so it is a little bit worrying um, but I think that the big hope for us all is that the pre-season under Sean Dyche and sometimes to work under Sean Dyche is going to uplift the, the the quality of the squad overall. Hopefully they'll be, be more organised, hopefully they'll be fitter um, but I don't know if that's necessarily enough to to offset the the lack of quality and lack of depth that there are in in key positions. I think being fitter, being more organised will will get you somewhere. But is it enough to get this Everton team and, and get their head above the the relegation line? I'm not 
quite sure that they're, yeah, I think they probably need one or two more quality additions in, in places in the squad where they are really sure. It's interesting you say that because I was at uh, Bolton on Tuesday alongside our colleague Connor O'Neill and, and that kind of almost that, that, that sense of Everton purgatory or, or limbo where you're not quite sure where you stand was, was definitely the case. Now, you know, I think it's clear to see, you know, for myself, having spoke with Ashley Young um, after the Wigan game last weekend and he was talking about how tough Deitch's pre-season was. Didn't say it's the toughest he's ever had. Didn't say Gaffer's Day was the hardest he'd ever done. He said he actually um, you know, referred to, to his time in Italy with, under Conte uh, and suggested that that was probably the hardest he'd been worked. But he said this was up there. Um, and then we saw against Bolton on, on, on Tuesday. I quite enjoyed this, actually. You could tell Everton were going to make eight substitutes at half time because eight of the first 11 stayed on the pitch and for 15 minutes they were basically just made to sprint from one end of the box to the, from one box to the other to make sure that they got their, their, their full workout so I mean they, they're clearly being tested I thought I think fitness I think we can take for granted you know Everton are going to be one of the fittest sides going into the new Premier League season and I do also think it's keen to it's important to state that there seems to be an awareness within the Everton coaching team that fitness isn't just about running the lads ragged for all the way up until the first game of the season there is a there is an awareness there that they need to get them to peak condition rather than just completely you know risk burning them out so they'll be fit and in my match report after the game I tried to take a little bit more of a positive slant in the sense that from the Wigan and the Bolton games you could just see perhaps a bit more of cohesion although Everton played slightly different formations and with slightly different players in both games and they didn't score a plethora of goals either. They were attacking and defending in a far more intelligent and coherent way than they were at the back end of last season when, if I'm honest, it felt like obviously Evan got the job done. It felt like they got the job done through set pieces, Dwight McNeil's magic left foot and Abdullah Dekore just forcing his way through defences and his boundless energy paying off. Certainly with the introduction of, of Ashley Young and how he's interacting with the likes of Alex Awobi, it just felt like everyone were getting up the pitch a lot better, a lot more. You've got players who can carry the ball. They've got interactions between players, interlinking, getting up there. Neil Mopé, rather than as we saw for so much of last season, just having long balls hammered at him for 90 minutes. He was dropping deep, picking up the ball, winning free kicks, trying to turn and release the Wobi down, down the right. There looked like there could be a template there that with better players, some of which are within the squad, yeah, if they come in, they could start. If you played Dan Juma where Dobbin was off Mope, and you had Calvert Lewin up front instead of Mope, you could see how it could work and actually be potentially quite, quite effective. But as you two have both alluded to, we have the massive caveats that Everton don't currently have the players there to, to whatever their fitness is and whatever system they're playing is. It doesn't feel like a huge amount of confidence. Obviously, Calvert Lewin's training. We know he's training hard. We also know the very maximum amount of minutes he's now going to get before he kicks the ball before the start of the season is 180. And that's, he's not going to play for 90 minutes in both games, is he? And that goes for, for quite a few of, of, of the outfield players as well. Gav, in terms of you know all the pre-seasons that you've watched as a fan over the years, how important do you think it is that players get match? albeit friendly, get some degree of competitive minutes in their tank. So, you know, it's Stoke tomorrow. Say Dominic Calvert-Lewin doesn't play yeah. at all. He is continuing to train hard. Would you 
Would you have concerns that he hasn't been playing, you know, eleven aside football in a competitive environment, consistently building into the new season, or do you actually think it's more important what he's doing at Finch Farm? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know, Joe. In, in terms, I suppose it depends on the player and what where they are in terms of with their fitness. I think. I think you. Ideally, you've got to have at least one game, haven't you, before the start of the season? It, it, it's interesting. So, so that's what the question is. Yeah, definitely. You've got to have one game. Got, I think it's taken as a given. You've got to work hard at Finch Farm anyway, you know, so let's get that right. But I think one game pre-season is definitely definitely valuable. But it's interesting to say when you're saying about Gaffer's day in fitness, there's this, I think there's a belief within the game, isn't it, that actually they don't, they're not a full fitness at the start of the season, are they? Players are at their only reach sort of Premier League fitness in the the weekend after this September international break. So it takes it takes them probably about a month after the start of the season to for players to be you know at optimum optimum fitness, and and I think that's what we're building towards. So you you are right. We don't want everybody totally knackered do you by the opening day of the season, um, and I think. In that regard, I think it's just I think it's important to have, to have at least one game, get yourself on the pitch at least to show. I mean, to show fans that actually you're in contention at the start of the season. In Cavaloon's case, isn't it really? And from the the moments I hear and stuff, is that may not necessarily be the case. So yeah, important for important for the fans. I think to somebody to play before the start of the season, if not the player, will be my answer. Matt, going into Stoke on Saturday. Is there anything that you haven't seen in pre-season so far that you really, really want to see in that game? Bearing in mind it's the penultimate opportunity for the players to be getting on that pitch. I mean, is it too obvious to just say goals? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's one of them, isn't it? Where, you, you know, you talk about some of the, the crisp passive football that Everton played on, on Tuesday night, was it, at, at Bolton? Um, Bolton, yeah. Um, and... No, that's that's great, and you know it, it looked lovely, and those you know Mope dropping off the front, McNeil getting in field, you know, and it was all nice. And you know, somebody didn't watch the game live, you know, I saw the the video of that Iwobi chance in inverted commas, and I didn't know what had happened with it. I was like, oh, this is this is this is great, this is really nice link up play, and then you get to the end bit, and it's like, oh, it's just a scuffed block shot, and like there's there's a chance there for Iwobi to either shoot himself and finish or play an incisive pass across, I think it's to Lewis Dobbin, who was, who was racing through on the, the left-hand side for a tapping, and he kind of doesn't either, and, you, and it's like, well, that does sort of sum up Everton's problems in a nutshell, because as much as those passing moves and everything were really nice, and there's a two or three of them, wasn't there, in the first half of that game, where they built out from the back, they played through the lines, and they got into, into good positions. Are Everton going to play like that at Villa away in week two? I don't think so. Are they going to be taking the ball on the edge of their own box in, in games in the Premier League against teams who are better, who are more likely to punish your mistakes if you lose the ball, who are going to press you higher and be more capable of doing that? I'm not sure. I think the style changed probably quite significantly away from that. So it's tough to, to read too much into that. But but I think on, on Saturday, I mean, away from the obvious, you'd like to see Carvalho and get minutes, of course. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Jared Branthwaite and, and James Garner as well. You know, they've come back from busy summers and the manager would have had a, a good chance this week to have a, a look at Branthwaite again. We were talking on Monday, weren't we, about Dyche 
would have had one session with him. I think by the time he'd recorded that podcast, and you might love him, you might not, you might not like him at all. We'll have to wait and see. So I think it'd be interesting to see how they feature and then how they play because I think both of those players are are in contention, certainly, aren't they, to start in week one, you'd say, although they're not guaranteed nailed on to start. Um, and I think it would also be interesting to see which of the youngsters are, are involved still. You know, I think it's probably a bit of a surprise that, that Lewis Dobbin got a start on on Tuesday. Maybe the manager saw something in him he, he's liked and thought, oh, I'll give him a bit of a go. Obviously, we've seen a lot of young players leave the, the club this summer. We've seen a few go out on, on loan this week who we clearly decided aren't ready for this level yet or, or need more, more frequent minutes. Um, so maybe if we get you know, Tom Cannon gets a game, if Dobbin gets a game, if some of us get a game up or be off the bench or in the starting eleven, then maybe it'll just give us a little bit of an insight into to Sean Dice looking at those thinking, you know, you you'll do to stick around for, for the remainder of the season. So um and of course finally I'm Arno Danjuma, you know, great to see him in, in training today. Um getting involved, seemingly quite happy and content with things. It's nice to see someone pick up the ball, beat a few players run at defenders, you know, take a few shots, all, all those sorts of things. And, you know, listen, I know Ashley Young's come in and it seems like a, an astute sign and I think we you know, can all accept that. Um, I think it gives everybody a lift, doesn't it, when you get a new forward player in. And it's always nice in those first few weeks when a new signer comes in and whatever they do and whatever whatever happens on the pitch, you no know, matter how well or how poorly they play, they get applauded and, and they get that, that grace period <laughs> from the fans and, and Dan Jim is about to get that, so... Uh, that'll be nice, and hopefully, you can start it off um, with a goal or two on Saturday in the Potteries. Absolutely, definitely going to be interesting. One of the things you mentioned there is insight into Sean Dyche's thoughts, which is something that we haven't had a lot of in this preseason. Obviously, spoke oh. after the game against Neon. Yeah, well, one thing I was, I was going to say, actually, which you mentioned before, I think Ashley Young saying that it's not the hardest preseason he's ever had. I can imagine Sean Dyche taking that as a personal affront, <laughs> to be honest. And, now, Young's, Young's only got a one-year deal, so he might have done everybody else next summer after he's got off a, a bit of a disservice there because Gaffer's Day might be even harder after that revelation, might not it? Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> well, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the insight is going to be because obviously, you know, having been to the last two games now, Bolton and Wigan, one thing we haven't had, and there's no there's no uh, commitment to it, there's nothing that's it's not mandatory, but yeah, myself and the other journalists have been haven't had the opportunity to ask questions of any of the coaching team. Obviously, Sean Dyche didn't even turn up to the the game at Wigan. Um, he was there against Bolton on on Tuesday night, but again, it was it was player who was put up in that case. It was it was Michael Keane, your favourite Matt, um, who was doing the the media duties after that game as well. So it's going to be interesting because I think one thing that we haven't had for a while is anything insightful from Dyke. So I'm not sure that he necessarily provide anything that he's not willing to go into. But I think we all know the questions that he's going to ask if the likes of myself and others do get the opportunity to speak to him after after the game at Britannia. And they'll be, you know, precisely where is Dominic Calvert-Lewin up to? You know, I suspect we'll get a vague answer in relation to that. And the other things that you'd ask him about would, would be about things like transfers and, and where Everton are going next and what role he is playing in it. Is he completely leaving it all to Dan Purdy and Kevin Fowler? Is he having a say? Is he, you know, we the club have gone into great detail at various points over the past seven months about how the process works. Um, as they've been, you know, coming out to explain the process and try and defend what they've done, you know, and also, you know, stand up if you find Mashiri for, for Bill Kenwright's role in the club and where his expertise apparently lies. I think one thing that's clear, Gav, is that 
you know, we look at the last January transfer window and obviously nobody came in and it was, you know, it was, it was shambolic. Probably, you know, you could rule that as a one-off due to exceptional circumstances to some degree because Everton, you yeah. know, as a club was, was in a mess at the time, wasn't it? Are you starting to get a little bit of fear that for all the efforts of the recruitment team, we might end up in a scenario similar to last summer where Everton go into a new season with a clear problem that has been identified by everybody for some time, but where the solution hasn't been found. And then all of a sudden, what would effectively be for the third transfer window in, the, in, in a row, you end up sacrificing games because haven't been able to get the business done early. I don't, you're talking about having another striker, Joe, yeah. Essentially, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I'll get that. I mean, do you sacrifice games? You make your game less chance of winning. Possibly, possibly. We're pointing out here at Calvert-Lewin's, what's he got, 12 goals in 50 Premier League games? So it's not exactly a goal game striker, is he? I've never. I, I get the idea that you know that you're maybe not as strong as you are in the opening three or four games. But I, I would never. I personally would never use the the word sacrifice. Don't think anybody sacrifices a game. I am I, I, going back on your point though. It is quite clear, isn't it? What where the issue is, and I don't even think it's you know the treatment seems that well paidy. It's the people making the financial decisions at the club who are informing the our transfer activity, aren't they? In that, there is only a limited amount of cash that we have at this moment in time to spend. So, if you want to buy a player, we will only be able to release five million pounds this year for them. So, you either buy a player for five million pounds, or in Torre's case, you pay five million down and then five million for each of the next three or four years. So, I don't. I think the decision making is outside of the football people within the club it's, it's the people holding the finances ultimately I've got the power here and and that's why we've seen such an activity well probably less than what we're expecting because at the moment maybe on the transfer window it's a it's a it's a, it's a seller's market isn't it if you've got you've got somebody somebody really wants then they've got to pay you know they've got to pay to suit your needs at some point in the next three or four weeks that's going to change where it becomes near the end of the transfer market, where the people have got players who are at the club that they want to get rid of, all of a sudden that that will flip to become a buyer's market, and and I think that's therefore where I would expect, on what we've seen so far about how much cash we've got available, I think as it becomes more of a buyer's market towards the end of the transfer window, where there's a few people that the clubs have got players that they expect to get rid of, but they haven't. I think that's when I'd expect us to do our business based on what I've seen so far um, in, in terms of you know the way we want our deal structured. So it could be, going back to your point, that during the day of the season or even the, the second game of the season, we won't have a full squad because we haven't got the cash to get deals over the line beforehand. And, and the irony is here, isn't it? We spoke for a couple of years that our issues are with profit and sustainability but I think it's a knowledge that we're coming out of that period, you know, that period of massive overspending and what that means. We're actually coming out of that period a little bit. The problem now is cash, <laughs> which is which is another another aspect of it, really. And, and so, yeah, I think I think we'll we'll be the same the same this season. 
as what we were last season at the start. But I do expect some movement between Dilton and Zay in the, the transfer deadline window. Matt, that, I mean, sorry, Joe, that maybe that's informing some of that Dice's pre-season, but we're talking about last week. Matt, I mean, if it was, a, you know, even if it's legitimate reasons, or you know, to, to some extent, obviously, we, you know, the one one bit of insight we probably have had from the club this week is something that I think we've, we've known and, and been writing for, for quite some time is, is that the, the financial situation has meant that Everton can only put small down payments down on players and heavily structure things and, you know, been reading what, what myself and somebody others have been writing over the past month when we've been linked with Albert Altore, when we've been linked with, with Willie Nonto as well. The other kind of more, you know, the landmark sign that Everton would have to pay money for. That's always been the big caveat that, you know, these are clubs that want to get as much money as possible for those players. And in that circumstance, it's not favourable to Everton if there's somebody else that's interested. And that's always been the case of Albert Altori. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about things last Sunday and reaching advanced stages and, and things like that. Well, you know, obviously, it was, it's, it, Everton were always playing second fiddle to Atalanta, weren't they, I think. Um, despite everything that Gav says there, Obviously, this situation is something that's been known about all summer, you would think, for, for those who are making those decisions. Do you think that if that is the case, Matt, it's acceptable that or you can give them the benefit, give those who are at the very top of the club uh, the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, if the majority of the business has to wait till the end of the transfer window, but that's good business. I mean, do you think that that's a good policy or do you think they should have kind of amended their strategy accordingly just to make sure they were as strong as possible when the season kicked off? I mean, it, it sort of feels like they're at a point now where they, they have to do that, don't they? And I think I think Gav articulated it really well there because this is there's so many layers to the situation that Everton find themselves in now, isn't there? Like, everybody knows and has known for the best part of 18 months now that this team needs a centre-forward to compete with, replace, whatever you want to say, Dominic Carvert-Lewin. We've known that for absolutely ages. But how can you go and get a player in who can do all the things that Dom does, like we discussed on Monday, when you've got no money, when you're up against the, the wall in terms of FFP, profit and sustainability rules, whatever, and when you finished, what, 17th, 16th in your last two seasons in the Premier League? You know, it's not... It's not, you know, it's like a, it's like a football manager challenge. This isn't it, you know, your team just avoided relegation by the skin of its teeth last year. Go into this situation where you've got no money, your club's been, you know, financially mismanaged. Keep them up again. <laughs> it's, it's like it, and and I think sort of what you, the way in which you get around that really is is by, I think the, the only way you really get around that and get players in through the the early stages of the window is by through truly elite scouting. And I mean like Brighton level scouting where you go and get players from all over the world who no one's really heard, you know, someone like a, a Mitoma at, at that level. Was it 2.5 million he cost them? Um, and and that's, that's, that's one way around it. But Everton have shown no real insight into that kind of market or no real, no real desire to go and explore that, that type of market. I mean, the one, the one sort of gem they uncovered last summer, you could say, was, was Amadou Anana, but he wasn't like a player that nobody knew about. He'd been strongly linked with with West Ham and a couple of other sides. So it, it is really difficult. And I think for, for a club like Everton and, and the way in which they've gone about things, 
it's really tough because it's it's great being able to say, well, we we looked at Mikhail and Mudrik and we looked at Mohamed Kudus and we looked at all these players who have gone on to be really good or like, look like they're going to go on to be really good. But you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, I think a lot of these lads are are quite well known and um, are going to cost a lot of money. And, and Everton simply haven't got that, so it does feel it does feel a little bit like we're going to have to hang on until the end of the window. The, the, the one area where I would be disappointed in where you'd be critical again is that if Everton went and did something like what they did with Neil Mopay at the end of the last window, because what they did there was they went and spent a decent chunk of money, was it around £15 million, on a player who was just so ill-suited to the way that the team was going to play and was in no way, shape or form a replacement for the fellow who they were going to build their attack around. You know, that, that just felt like a bit of a, he's available, he's got Premier League experience, We've kind of run out of options a little bit. Let's let's just get him in for fifteen million. I think if they do go and bring in a, a striker for a similar amount of money between now and the end of the transfer window, they need to be a bit more considered and a bit more calm with the way the way you go about the way in which they go about it. All the words are in there. Sorry, <laughs> it's interesting. Sorry, can I just make another point, Joe? Yeah, about it. Yeah, and I, I'm just wondering whether the delays in the MSP deal have, have come into play here. That I think we all know that the the Premier League, the first you know significant batch of money was paid over. I think the the Friday before last, and I'm just wondering because of the delays in the in the in the MSP deal, but there's some money that the club, obviously the MSP deal money is going to go on the stadium. Whether the club we're going to use some of that on players, but because of delays in getting the funding for the stadium, they've had to divert that to the stadium. Because the MSD, MSP money is not there, and I'm just speculating at this point, but I'm not sure. In the in the, in the great scheme, I think the the delay, the, the delays in the MSP team getting that over the line has meant the clubs had to commit more money to the stadium than what they originally anticipating over the summer, and and maybe that comes into play. Either way, the delays in the MSP money has not helped us, has it really? Possibly. Um, I'd say when I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I was I was doing a story in Malaysia, just speaking to people that were close to the deal, and it was it was always expected at that point that it was going to be August before anything got over the yeah. line, which was already which is problematic. Of course, it is, and you know I think this is an issue we'll probably discuss next week or the week after. But there's clearly there there are clearly there are clearly there's clearly a big issue that's going on with the interim board and how long is interim. And the question when I asked it, say a couple of weeks ago, was probably, you know, after the start of the season, back end of August, beginning of September. And then the issue that kind of flows from that is, well, is Bill Kenwright still there at the beginning of the season? And if he is still there at the beginning of the season, does he take his seat in the director's box? Does he not? And all of a sudden we're, we're back in that whole, you know, really contentious and difficult situation marring the beginning of a new season after it had such a you know an impact on on the last one and you know that's one that I think we do need to touch on albeit perhaps in a week or two obviously the MSP money is due to sort the stadium out obviously there's already a tranche of money that came in from the Andy Bell loan that came in at the yeah. beginning of the summer and my understanding with that was that was to kind of pay off the last set of um, but, you know bills that were due in relation to the stadium. So, so I, I don't think that I don't think that the rug has been pulled from beneath anyone for lack of funds. I think Everton are dealing with. I think they're always going to have a very restricted budget. Sean Dyche yeah. was 
you know, uncertain from the final whistle of Bournemouth whether or not he was going to have to sell to buy, but it was clear that he was aware it was a distinct possibility. So I don't think the parameters in which Everton operated have necessarily changed over the course of the summer yet. I think one of the things that, some of the things that Matt says are, are kind of, you know, quite poignant in, in, in his last answer in, in the sense that obviously the, the idea of going and doing a Brighton and scouting, scouting young talent from around and picking up for, for next to nothing is, there's probably two answers to that from, from Evan's perspective. First and foremost, obviously, a couple of months ago, they picked up Lee Sargison from Brighton, who's now Evan's you know, head of scouting operations. So they have actually shown a desire to go and perhaps copy that model. And you know, Kevin Thalwell, one of the things he's tried to do over the 18 months is try and you know, build towards creating an Everton that's more sustainable for the future. The unfortunate thing that Kevin Fowler has had to deal with is the fact that you know he has had the rug pulled from beneath him because absolutely every other part of the structure around him has has collapsed. And I guess you know Karen Matoma might have cost Brighton two and a half million pounds. Everton don't have a handful of two and a half million pounds to gambles on on players that you know are in the in the minor leagues and and they perhaps require a little bit of adaptation first. I, I think you. Know, three or four years ago they could maybe do that deal four times and if only one of them comes off they'd say it's good business you know they, they, yeah. they, they've had a world they, they haven't got, I think we saw at the beginning of the window I don't think Dyche necessarily wanted to keep Connor Cody but we have discussed how that might have solved for four and a half million pounds as an option to very early on solve a problem that was clearly going to grow throughout the summer and they didn't do it and that's probably indicative of, of a lack of finances so they're probably trapped they don't they don't have enough money to gamble on the completely unknown um, unknown player because they need results straight away and they don't have, you know, excess money. They also don't have the money to go out and buy established players, which just leaves them in that kind of murky world of you want players that you that Sean Dyche can be comfortable and com- confident can do a job at this level, but for whatever reason have become so out of favour that, they are within Everton's financial remit. I suppose that's where Arno Danjuma fits in. We know that he has, you know, he has Champions League pedigree. He scored against Juventus. He scored against Bayern. You know, as, as Villarreal reached the latter stages, but since then he's also had a couple of bad years. Where you know, in particular, obviously, you know, he wasn't wanted at Villarreal last season. He went to Tottenham and didn't make an impact. Obviously, Tottenham are a club that are as messy as, as Everton, perhaps, it, if not more. You know, it wasn't an ideal. I think. You probably look back on that and think it was a, a bit of a mistake, but yeah, that's why he's in a situation where Everton have been able to get him. I guess it's finding those, isn't it, really? And, and doing so in an early stage in the market is probably difficult. I guess the other thing that Everton needs to do, and this is where they're probably having difficulty, is one thing that could accelerate their activity in the transfer market is by getting rid of more players. And you know, we know there's interest in Damari Gray. I think it, it's likely that Everton would accept anything that's a considered bid for him. Same with Mason Holgate, but... This is, again, the problem and this harks back to recruitment problems from, from the years that have gone by. You need players to want to, you need clubs to want to come in and, and take these players off Everton first before you can do anything yeah. else. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? So, Yeah, I can't feel, I'm not, relaxed maybe isn't the right word, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not sat here. <laughs> I'm not sat here saying like Everton should just go and like spend money now. You know, I'm not really thinking the consequences because we we desperately need it because we'll be in this situation again in in a couple of years. You know, the the club needs to be sensible now, and and I understand 
everybody out there, myself included, just look at this squad go, my word, we've known about this strike situation for years. How have we not sorted it? But I think that the, the situation is, you know, for me personally, the situation in terms of the finances is obviously a lot worse than, than I realised because I looked at the situation in January when we sold out Nick Gordon. Uh, we obviously got money for, for Moyes Keane through. We've sold Sims this summer. We've sold um, Samuel Smith this summer as well. We, we, we've sold a lot of players there and the, the money has gone straight onto the balance sheet in terms of pure profit. And they're still, they're still in this situation, clear. You know, all the noise is coming out the football club. And, you know, they might make it look daft by going and just paying, you know, a load of money for a striker in, in a couple of weeks and then coming out and letting us all know that actually the finances were not, were not as bad as before. But the noises would suggest that they still need to be careful despite that. And it's, it's horrible and it's, and it's frustrating. But if they go out and just spend money rashly again in the next few weeks, then we're just going to be sat here again next summer and the summer after in the same situation thinking we acted a bit recklessly there and, and now we're paying the, the consequences for it. You know, this now, like th- this moment we're in now is the product of all those summers down, down the years where he went, it's not my money, I don't care. I don't, I don't care where it comes from, you know, pay these players whatever, they're better than what we've got, all those things and you don't really think too far down the line. Like, this is the collateral from from that reckless spending. And I don't want us to be here again in two or three years' time when we've moved into a new stadium and we're hopefully still a Premier League team. So it's frustrating, it's horrible. I want to see loads of new faces in and, and you know get excited about the new campaign. But it, they've got to be sensible about this and it's annoying, but it feels like the way forward. It's clearly a, a tricky situation because balanced against that, they also need to make sure they stay in the Premier League and they've only just done that for two years in a row. And I think they've lost 10 players from the squad, you know, compared to, you know, to um, the one that finished the season. Gav, against this backdrop, obviously every penny counts. You're trying to squeeze as much as you can from what you currently got. Are you slightly surprised to see Lewis Warrenson and Stanley Mills go out on loan? Not necessarily them go out on loan, to have done so with four and a half weeks of the transfer window remaining and there'd be a bit of uncertainty as to where, what gaps Everton are going to be able to plug. No, I, I think in there, I spoke about Lewis Warrington, didn't I, um, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he's got a year left on his deal. No, I think I think the players in their development are uh, not Premier League players, are he? I think we can talk about the, the, the pitfalls of academy football to the cows come home. And the the, the the thing that fills the gap is uh, is a loan at another club, really, and, and they make full sense to me. I think I think if they were any good, I'm going to say any good. That's probably not the right phrase. If they had the potential to be Premier League players next season, I think they'd be they'd still be be in Everton now. They're obviously, thinking is is that they aren't, and the ones, and I think Warrington certainly probably I doubt ever will be. I'd be surprised given his career development. Um, and I think yeah, it makes it makes sense to put them out on loan and you know get get back into get them playing football. And at the end, you know if, if neither of them make it, you know hopefully there's some some money we can get back for them. So it makes a hell of a lot of sense, really, for me. It's rather than be on loan and playing academy football, at least to get them out there, getting minutes on on the clock, and and maybe creating a market for for selling them at some point in the future. Certainly, one in the case, Stanley Mills is slightly different. Um, but if they, if they have plenty of potential they'd be at Everton at the moment 
you say that, I'm, I'm not convinced quite so much. I, I think that Everton has probably been as, as bad a club as it could have been for a youngster trying to break through in the past 18 months because there just hasn't been an opportunity for pressure-free minutes. If we're honest, there probably isn't going to be an opportunity for pressure-free minutes, certainly in the first few months of of this season. Yeah, I think, you know, I like both of the players. Obviously, we you know, neither of them have any Premier League experience. That's, you know, an issue. But I... When Sean Dyche and Kevin Farwell offer Tom Davis a new contract and he turns them down, that suggests to me that they think they're a body short in centre midfield. Now, the minute, yeah. they may well be. Now, at the minute, I, I think that with what little funds they do have, central midfield is probably low down the the, the, the pecking order, low down the shopping list of, of, of issues to get resolved. So I wouldn't have minded seeing Lewis Warrington just kind of staying in and around the squad just in case he can do a job just at, you know, back end of matches or early rounds of the Carling Cup, that type of thing. Just just until the and I know obviously the championship, the football league clubs are looking to get out, you know, their their season starts early. They want to get, you know, things in line for that. But, you know, I just would rather see these players leave once ever and have sorted their own squad out first, just in case they can do a job. Matt, probably this will be my last question, but at least where Gav's right is obviously, you know, Warrington has only played as high as League One at the moment. Sam Mills had no senior experience so far other than the limited amount that he's had with Everton. And, and therefore, you can understand why this would make sense from a career pro- progression point of view. The one player that Everton have got that kind of falls in between those models is, is Tom Cannon, who there's a hell of a lot of interest around at, at the minute. Um would you want? Would you be disappointed if you saw Tom Cannon go out before a striker comes in? This is a player who scored. You know, he's he's clearly very very good at the under twenty ones level. You know, top of his class in that respect. Gone out to the championship and scored eight goals and twenty appearances there. So that's I mean as close to the Premier League as you're going to get before getting a berth in the Premier League. Do you think he can do a job this season? Do you think that Everton at the very least should hold on to him until other solutions are brought into the club just in case? Yeah, well, just before I answer that, I'll tell you what, Gav's written off Lewis Warrington as Gareth Bale is there, hasn't he? Yeah, he's just... Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, Matt, <laughs> no, no, from my own experience about where players should be at that age... If if they if they go if they're going to make it and what they should well, be doing, and, I, I you know I, I also uh, think that God sorry, no I think I think that's it. I, that, it's as simple as for me. I think I think if you if you're not if, if you're not knocking on the door at what well, how old's Warrington? Is he 20, 21 in October? Yeah. I mean, Jared Bantwaite's only six months younger, or six months yeah. older. Sorry, you have a look at Bantwaite's career path over the last. 12 to 18 months, two years. But I also I also feel like the developments of these lads aren't always... Le- yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. And I, 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 in the same sense, and I think Warrington's got a year left, but he's, the club have got an option for an extension, haven't they? They can extend his deal in the same way that they could have done with... The, they have done with Decore this summer. And, I, I, you know, I, I think you're probably right. I think they're probably both not quite at, at that level yet. But I also look at it and think, well, if the club were convinced about that, then they probably would have just moved them on permanently this summer. And I think maybe the fact that they've, they've given them loan deals in a funny sort of way points towards the fact that maybe they're not they're not ready to completely write them off. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fork in the road, isn't it? Or they could argue, yeah. say, that's the next part of saying, listen, these are quite good at that level, so therefore we'll get a fee for them. I know yeah. what I'm doing. It's, it's, I know, it's just, there's it's a separate pod, I know, and, but I, I, where they are, I, I doubt... 
I, I always think if you're in, a, I always think the best players miss out academy football anyway. Um, but I think if you're not knocking on the door when you're 19, 20 at a Premier League team and in the academy, I think it's very, very difficult for you to break through after that 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 time. That probably shows yeah. you I've got the talent. No, that, that's fair enough. And, and just to, to answer your question about Tom Cannon, Joe, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to move him on before we bring somebody in, like because we did that with Ella Sims last summer, didn't we? And listen, again, probably a player who's not Premier League level, but it just felt like we looked a little bit daft when we were playing Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray up front for the first five games of the season, and we had we had nobody on the bench to even throw on because you know because Tom Cannon, you look at it now and you say there's a lot of interest in him. Will that interest not be there anymore if the Premier League season's had three games? It's it's still going to be there. You know, if he sits on the bench for the first three three games of the season and, and Dan Juma plays up front, you know, there'll still be teams that will want to take him on load despite that and because of what he did last season. So I don't think there's any rush to make any kind of decision on him. Have a look over the next couple of games, see what he's like in, in training, where we can make an impact in the early weeks of the season. Um, that is, of course notwithstanding him everything going sign two centre forwards in the next week and, and he's well down the peck and all this. So no rush at all, I think, to make a decision on what, what's going on with Tom Cannon, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think they should keep hold of him and say on, you know, Warrington and Mills. I, I just think it's... Everton hasn't been a place that's been conducive for young talent over the last 18 months or so. I'm not sure. So I kind of... Yeah, I think they both have potential. Obviously, Mills signed a three-year contract back in, in September, so there's, there's clear that you know, there may well be a pathway for him. But he obviously needs senior football first, and, and I think Oxford will be a, a good move for him. Right, that's been it. That's it for today. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for joining us. Obviously, we're on a Friday now, so I'll be off to Stoke with Connor tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring you back some some good news from there, both in terms of some insight from the management team and hopefully some goals and a good performance for Monday's pod. Thanks very much for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Keep smiling. Thank you. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 